In this episode of the Chillinois podcast, I sit down with Jackie Bryant. Jackie is a San Diego-based freelance journalist. These days, her focus is almost entirely on cannabis. She also covers other lifestyle and culture topics, particularly travel. Her work has appeared on the web and in print at Forbes, MJ Biz Daily, Voice of San Diego, and much more. Enjoy this episode of the Chillinoy Podcast. Hi, Jackie. How's it going? Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for sitting down. Sounds like we're about to spark up, so that's a good way to uh, start the show. Um, what you What are you about to spark up, my friend? So I am, I'm, I'm feeling a little blessed these days. I just got back from the um, Emerald Cup judges meeting this past weekend where they um, decided the winner, um, which I, I can't say anything about. I actually don't know who it is. I know, I know which number it was, but I don't know who it is. Um, so I have some, some beautiful sun-grown buds from up north in the Emerald Triangle that I have, to be honest, I don't actually know what it is. But I also got dropped um, some kind of exotic indoor from... Um, from a grower in LA, Caliex, not sure if you're familiar. Did you know that we release our podcasts in video format now? Just go to chillinoynet slash YouTube to watch our podcasts. And just a sidebar, we just released a grow journal, our very first grow journal. Again, if you want to watch that grow journal or the Chillinoy podcast, just go to chillinoynet slash YouTube. But, um... Yeah, I just got like a whole suite of, uh, they've, they've got all of these crazy phenos in house, Biscoff, OZX, Zensei's Lime, some, some pretty, some pretty cool ass stuff. So I think I'm going to be tearing into this, this slime. I'm going to put it in the bong and that's slime, it up. Like, slime it up. I was thinking about rolling a joint, but I'm like too discombobulated today. So bong it is. I'm kind of a lazy smoker. Holy shit. Look at this nug. Whoa, that's a big nug. And folks, if you want to see the nug, the coolest <laughs> thing about that is that we now have a video podcast. So if you want to see that nug, show, the, show it to the camera again. Bat, here's the Mylar bag for, it's literally the whole eighth is this nug, which is wow. really cool. Yeah, <laughs> which so doesn't folks, happen a lot in California. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge nug. Folks, uh, the link to the video version of this podcast is in the description for the show, or you can go to chillinoynet slash YouTube. And uh, we're on multiple video platforms. You know how it goes, Jackie. Cannabis content. You got to kind of uh, diversify your portfolio, if you will. (laughs) Um, You know, put it on multiple uh, platforms just in case one of them goes down or whatever. Um, So, yeah, folks, if you want to go chillinoy.net slash YouTube, you can pick from the multiple platforms we're on. You can see that huge ass nug that Jackie just showed us. This episode of the Chillinois podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. If you'd like to contribute to the Chillinois podcast to show your support, just go to chillinois.net slash support and make your contribution from there. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Jackie, for folks that don't know you, there might be a few folks that, uh, you know, in the intro of the show, they may be like, oh, yeah. I know her. She's fucking awesome. But some people might not be might not be familiar with you and your work. Uh, Tell us a little bit about you and uh, what you do. 
Yeah, so my name is Jackie Bryant. I'm um, an independent cannabis journalist based in San Diego. Um, so that means I'm a freelancer, which means that I do um, contract work, one-off stories for a variety of outlets, both mainstream and cannabis oriented. So right now I'm the one of the California correspondents for MJ Biz Daily, where I do um, California industry stories. Um, I write for Leafly, where I do more like product focus um, journalism, kind of like, kind of, kind of overturning like bullshit marketing stuff as I like to call it. And, and, you know, most people live their life in the product realm. So I find that to be really important. Um, I do one-off news stories for um, high times. I do business stories for Forbes where I'm, I'm a regular contributor. Um, I write all kinds of different stories for different leaf magazine. I've done a lot of mainstream stuff. I do more investigative stuff for voice of San Diego policy stories for the San Francisco Chronicles. So, um, I do mainstream and cannabis story, um, you know, publications alike, but cannabis stories. So anything from product journalism to policy investigative and everything in between. Um, I do some content stuff on social media too, but primarily a written journalist. Gotcha. I also have my own newsletter called Cannabitch. I always forget to mention that, but people really I was, like it. I always forget it. <laughs> I was about to mention Cannabitch because have you ever seen The Office, like uh, the the show with Steve Carell? Yep. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the scene, but um, uh, I can't think of the actress's name right now or, or the actor's name. Um, Mind, uh, oh, Mindy. Plays, yeah, yeah Mindy. Um, yeah, that's that's her name. Thank you. Um, she says, uh, Mindy Kapoor, business bitch. Are you able to say <laughs> Jackie Bryant, can a bitch? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, that used to be a column in San Diego's alt weekly newspaper, San Diego city beat that, um, the paper stopped printing in, um, March, 2020. But so I turned it into a newsletter because I had a pretty good following locally and people liked it. And cannabis is a funny name, even if like, can't, you know, weed puns are like kind of lame and annoying. People like it. So, um, yeah, so I turned it into a newsletter. So I write um, kind of quirky culture stories, things that like I can put my own voice into. But I know that maybe a publication wouldn't necessarily it wouldn't fit anywhere else. It's kind of like a very unique People have called it like gonzo style journalism because I put my first person experiences into it. That's a, a high compliment. I'm not necessarily willing to put on it, but that's what people have said. Um, yeah. So that's that's what I do. <laughs> well, thank you for that's that. All. <laughs> I was going to say uh, I was displaying my screen from your website and it's like, God damn, that's a long, that's extensive, you know? Yeah. And so then, before and, cannabis, I wrote, um, I did food, travel, wine and spirit stories. So some of those bylines are from my past reporting, but um, yeah, I've, I've had a kind of long, crazy winding freelance career. So at one point I've written for all of those places, <laughs> but many of those are weed stories too. Yeah. Yeah. What about Playboy? What'd you write for Playboy? I'm honestly interested. Those are weed stories. Playboy actually for many years was, um, they're not really publishing that much anymore, unfortunately, but they had really good weed coverage for a really long time. They've been um, always very vocal in um, cannabis advocacy and legalization efforts like on the political level. So um, they've always actually had really forward thinking, um, really good cannabis reporting that was always like advocacy minded. So I did a, a few stories for them there um, about like dispelling weed myths and um, consumer surveys. We did like a sex survey, how people use, use cannabis and, and have sex and how they integrate the two. So always, I loved writing for Playboy. I'm actually kind of bummed that they don't really 
yeah well uh i know yeah playboy used to host uh normal like sessions back in the day at the mansion no they have been really instrumental in cannabis advocacy and activism so um yeah they were one of my favorite bylines i'm kind of bummed that they don't they don't do journalism anymore because it's not profitable so yeah so (laughs) currently you're a regular contributor like you said to mj biz daily uh i've seen you in forbes Yep. Um, looks like you're also listed as Uproxx. Oh yeah, Uproxx. I, I I do regular product work there, product stories, roundups, kind of like you know, best edibles, best this, best that. Um, yeah. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Well, that's it's pretty fun. That's cool. That's cool as hell. <laughs> well, you brought it up uh, in a few different ways. You just brought it up with Playboy, but then you just you brought it up with with the different work that you can do. And I think it's an interesting conversation to to start off with. Um, I guess before though, I, I've got it written down the the conversation that the the topic that you mentioned a few times. I'll, I'll give you a preview if you want before I. Uh, I'm kind of I want to push those questions though because I want to ask you how you got into reporting for cannabis, but I'll give you, like I said, a preview, just, um, you brought up bullshit marketing stuff for cannabis and dispelling weed myths. I think that's going to be a cool topic to talk about, but first (laughs) I want to talk about, because it's this, yeah, it's a hot topic and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot going on there. (laughs) There's a lot of bullshit. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're working. We'll, we'll talk about that. We're working on getting a lot of different experts on to kind of, uh, continue to dispel, um, for the sake of clarity, you know, but anyways, like, how did you get into reporting? I want to just start there. Yeah. So, um, when I first became a journalist, like seven, eight years ago, um, I was doing mainly food, travel, wine and spirit stories. And then I kind of realized alongside of it that you can write about weed the same way you write about wine, right? It's an agricultural product that has intoxicating properties. Um, there's a way to evaluate it, to review it, right? Like, if you know anything about plants, you know that different cultivars express differently. And so I knew obviously from being like a heavy consumer of both that you could write about them the same way. So I, I kind of inched into writing about cannabis from a lifestyle perspective, you know, like different products, stuff like that. And then it just became very evident to me that like as a topic, a reporting topic, it's just clearly so politicized. I mean, it's not even legal yet actually in reality. So <laughs> despite this whole like legal world, quasi-legal world we're living in it's actually still federally illegal for everyone so like it just became very clear very quickly that there are so many ways to report on it that weed is really the lens for reporting on harder topics or bigger topics because it touches everything because it's quasi legality makes it it makes it a proxy for other things like governments can use it to cover up other things. Right. And other people use it to push through other political agendas and other people are using it to make money and other people are using it to heal. So like, it's just a, it's always used as something by somebody. And to me as a reporter, like, uh, you know, a reporter's nature is to be skeptical and to uncover things that they think people should know. Well, then what better rock to look under than cannabis. Right. So it became really obvious to me, really quickly that like, yes, of course you can write about the products and you should that, like I said, that, you know, that's where we live. Most of our lives is in, you know, products, you know, experiencing them and using them. But at the same time, like what it takes to have those in people's hands, all of the legislation and the criminalization and everything behind it, like that needs a spotlight too. So it allowed me to kind of level up my reporting and do more harder news reporting from a cannabis angle while also 
doing more investigative product reporting too, like not just, you know, 10 best edibles, but like what's in these edibles actually, and do the things on, on this package, are they going to do what they say they're going to do to you? So it's, 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 it, it allows me to take things a step further because you realize again, quasi legal world, we're coming from prohibition. There's been a lot of propaganda and no education by no fault of our own. So we're starting from zero. And I find that too good of a temptation, you know, to resist, <laughs> honestly, to be at the forefront, trying to explain that. Yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect segue into, uh, bullshit marketing stuff and dispelling cannabis myths. Um, well, I think to start, I think to start with, I, I noticed I was listening to you and I noticed your language. You didn't say strain. You said cultivar. Folks that, folks that listen to my show a lot. I'm glad I said that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Folks that listen to my show a lot know that the, why, why I pointed that out. But for folks that may not know, tell me or tell, tell our audience, you know, why, well, plant botany, there's no such thing as a strain, right? A strain is um is a is a biological, it's a virus, it's it's something else. A cultivar is a specific genetic line of some, you know, that 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 you kind of drill down from from a species, you get down to a cultivar, which is a very very specific line of a very specific species. And and that's really the correct way to write about different so-called strains. Now, in my writing and other places that you'll see me, I do use the word strain still but I try to use it interchangeably in the same article with cultivar to kind of like inch it along because at the same time, like you don't want, like we're in this moment where we are educating consumers so much, but we want to be careful at the same time to not alienate them. So while there is so much misinformation out there and like just so much misattribution and, and, and things like that, we have to be careful to not lose people um, along the way. And also weed, as you know, something scientific as a plant, it can be so, um, it can be, it can be intimidating to get to know it, right? There's so many specificities, so much terminology, so much science behind it. So again, we want to be careful not to alienate people. So I use it interchangeably within the hope that one day we'll be off the word strain entirely. But if you see me writing and using the word strain, that's an effort by me to like meet people where they are. And then in the next sentence, if you see cultivar, that's like me trying to like bring them a step further. So I haven't dropped the word entirely, even though I hope to one day, but yeah, that's kind of my thought behind that. But that, yeah. that's another one. The, the cultivar thing, the indica versus sativa thing is another one. Like I still have to write to that binary sometimes, but it sounds like you've probably tell us about that. <laughs> some people, some people don't know that there's not that, that it's not that there's not a difference because right. again, when you're talking about binomial nomenclature, like cannabis sativa, cannabis indica, the genus species. So there's, and people have pointed out physio, like physiological adaptations that are different. There are differences between the plants. Like yep. uh, I might get this wrong. So, but hit the buzzer if I get it wrong or whatever, but it buzz, you know, um, but uh like indicas can grow in like high altitudes because uh, they you know or came they grow from out the more like a bush, whereas right. like cannabis sativa will grow more like a stalk. So there mm-hmm. are differences, but there's been so much crossbreeding over the years with only the most diehard of diehard of seed keepers keeping track of that, right? Where we don't really know kind of where everything's going. We can trace lineage back sometimes, but the whole cannabis sativa indica dis distinction it's all been crossbred and and also like some people will say like you know 
it also affects THC percentage. Well, that's not even true. Like it's sexual reproduction breeding, right? So like cannabis breeding. So you can take two seeds from two high THC cultivars and breed them and get a high CBD variety, right? Like it's just kind of how it goes. So this, the, the sativa indica thing, like you said, there is some truth to it, but it is not the binary that we describe. Like all indicas are quote unquote in the couch. Like it just like, it kind of doesn't go that way. Yeah. It's a helpful guide maybe to get you on your journey. But once you start learning about terpenes and you start learning about cultivars and genetic lines, like, yeah, you just like can't even pay attention to the indica sativa thing because it just immediately goes out the window and the rest of it makes sense. So I urge everybody to go down that rabbit hole because it definitely changes how you think about everything. And it changes how you smoke weed and at what time of the day and for what I did. Like, it's all for me about like terpenes and, and stuff now. It's really incredible how much that's changed for me over the years. Nice, so, yeah. nice. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think like you say, it's, it's a good way to introduce like a new consumer and you hope that it pans out. But um, like from what I, and tell me like what you've heard in, in your experience, but from what I've heard, oftentimes the way that people will name strains is how like one of their testers quote unquote feels, <laughs> you know, like totally. this is, this smokes like a sativa, this smokes like an indica. Have you heard the same totally. thing? All the time. Totally subjective. It's just some person. And, and that's all of them. It's not even it, like, that's not even a chemical thing. Like at some point someone decided that this feels that way and that feels that way. And maybe the leaves were thicker or thinner. And that's like how it was done. It's entirely subjective. So yeah, it's kind of time we think about things differently, but I get why I why it exists. Like, again, we have so little education. We have so much formal knowledge because it's been prohibited that it's understandable that consumers want a guideline. They want a structure like the whole reason like weed, you know, high THC can cause freakouts and people can have bad trips on psychedelics is because there's this fear of the unknown, this fear of what comes next. Cause people don't know, cause we don't have reliable info. We haven't taught them. And so like the Indica sativa variety, I think is just people kind of like grappling with like how to approach this vast, you know, um, world of knowledge that they kind of know they don't know anything about, but it's going to affect how they feel, right? It's going to affect their perception. So I, I understand people needing a goalpost. Um, it's going to be a long uphill climb, I think, by marketers to kind of undo that. Because at the end of the day, who wants to like sit down and learn? Some people, but a lot of people just want to get high. <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of like, yeah, consumer education is important, but also we have to accept that some people may not ever get there. So again, that's kind of like why I try to meet people where they are. Like I'll still use Indica Sativa as like a rough guideline, just to like get people in the right direction. And then I start talking about terpenes. And so it's a lot of that, like cannabis writing these days, because we are coming off of so little information. It's a lot of throat clearing. It's, it's a lot of, let me explain this because I have to explain that. <laughs> so yeah, everything's no. really rabbit hole like it just did <laughs> absolutely absolutely well another thing that i think you might ag may agree on um is like the fact that thc percentage does like it's that's another thing that we introduce people to that we try to like equate it to alcohol where it's like the higher it is you know the you better be careful and i guess in some instances that can be true but i've had a lot of instances where it's not and maybe I can, you know, that could be anecdotal, but I, I ask people all the time, like, you know, you get a quote unquote 30% flower and then you get like a 17% flower. 
And like, why is it sometimes the 17% smokes better than the 30? It's, it's because THC percentage is a weight, right? So if you have a 35% THC flower, that means that you have that much less of all the other cannabinoids that could balance that out and make whatever that plant decided to naturally produce as its ratio um, that creates kind of the whole spectrum of the high that you experience. So if you if you shift things and you um, you favor THC, that means because it's weight, there can only be so much of everything else. So a 17% flower will have other cannabinoids. It'll have a greater balance of things that that plant, for whatever reason, knew to produce at those levels. So it's going to make you feel a certain way because of that. Conversely, like a high THC bomb, you know, listen, like I love dabbing. I do love exotic flower, high THC flower, but like there is something to be said for like a sun-grown 17% full spectrum, all beautiful terpenes. Like, I don't know, you really can't recreate that indoor. And and I have an equal love for sun grown and, and appreciation and exotic indoor flowers. So it's like interesting. You, you really find people on one camp or the other, but I get both, but it's like, it's like, yeah, if, if you know, high THC just doesn't work for some people. Like it does create paranoia. It does create like kind of this tunnel vision, short-lived high. It can be really intense. And those other cannabinoids, like a high CBG or CBD ratio and maybe a lower THC flower, like is intended to balance that out and give you, you know, different physiological and intoxicating effects. So it's totally true that you can have a better smoke on the 17% flower. In fact, I would say for most people, it probably is true. I think in the United States, we have a culture of maximalism. And so more just equals better to us. Right. Also at the same time, we, again, we don't, we weren't told about any of this stuff. We're kind of going back and figuring it out in real time as things are legalizing. So um, it makes sense that you would say, Oh, the one we know, the famous one THC. Okay. The higher must be the better, right? Especially, you know, that to get some of those higher THC percentage, it also requires expert cultivation skills and, and a lot of expertise. So it's easy to make, to like make those synonymous high THC equals quality, but um, yeah. To, you know, people who really know about this plant know that, I mean, the plant came from outdoors. The only reason it went indoors was because it was legal and that's how you right. hide from helicopters. Right. It's, it's a plant. Plants are made to grow outside. That's kind of how they got started. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like the sun is good for it. So I do tend to maybe go towards that at the end of the day for that reason. I'm a believer that the earth, you know, giveth what it, what it needs to give at the same time, like really high THC, crazy ass Frankenweed grown in some crazy little indoor, like that's fucking cool too. So, you know, like it's easy to romanticize both, but yeah, long story short, totally possible to have a better smoke on, on, on 17% weed. In fact, most often I think it is better. So. Oh yeah. Well, well said. (laughs) Very well said. (laughs) No, I mean, I think it, I think it makes sense. Um, I, it's another thing that I think is important that, that you kind of alluded to is the fact that there are multiple cannabinoids that we don't really, we're just starting to learn about, you know, like we've always talked about THC. We've talked about THC for the longest time and all of a sudden CBD, you remember that, that craze. And then, yeah, yeah, it's that family video, Um, (laughs) you know, so uh, I don't know. Do you have do you even have family videos in California or did you? They're not really a thing anymore. Mm -hmm. 
Nope. Okay. Well, it's this. I grew like, up in New York, but yeah. <laughs> think think like Blockbuster. Um, oh, okay. Except you know, just okay. just a different brand, and they they were around for like quite a while, like up until the last few years, and all of a sudden they're selling CBD. It's like wow, this is an interesting last ditch effort by Family Video, <laughs> selling CBD and different. You know, yeah, it was kind of that's it was pretty- interesting. That is pretty wild. I can't even picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anything else like uh, as far as like bullshit marketing things that you're seeing or dispelling any myths that that kind of float around in cannabis that, that you can think of? Sure. I mean, the whole THCV is definitively shown to um, like cause weight loss and appetite suppression. Like that's something that once, you know, a couple of studies maybe did show whatever, whatever. And, you know, that's just not how science works. Like just because something, you know, you have to control for all the variables and do double blind, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's like one big marketing myth that I'm noticing, like uh, the New York times kind of ripped open wanna brands that, you know, edibles for kind of making definitive claims about weight loss. And that's something that came out um, to not really be true or verified. Um, and again, like people are buying this stuff, expecting it's going to work. Like, it's just not cool. It's and actually the FDA, prohibits it from, from making claims like that. Um, I'm trying to think of others. There are really just so many that it's, it's hard to, to pick one. I wrote a, a piece for Leafly about, um, strain, uh, strain specific edibles and why they're bullshit. Um, and they're bullshit because most edibles have distillate and distillate is just, it's just that it's just THC oil. So you're taking out all the terpenes and cannabinoids, things that would come from a strain. So it doesn't matter where it comes from. You can't have a strain specific distillate. It's a lie. So like any, and, and for that matter, like vape carts that are strain specific and use just THC distillate, like that's a lie too. Um, so that's some bullshit right there. Um, and even like a live resin infused edible, like there's absolutely no, no science to back up the fact that terpenes or aromatherapy, like flavonoids or anything can make it through the digestive process in the body. So that could be true. We just don't know enough yet. And so like anything claiming that like, this is an indica edible, you know, good for sleep, like you can't claim that definitively. So yeah. Yeah. So that's well, like, a, um, that's like a big one edibles and, 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 and like distill and like extracts. That's a big place where there's a lot of bad marketing just because like there are things that people know about less. So it's more of an opportunity. Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to pull up um, a guest we're having on pretty soon. And it sounds like, so I want to give you, give you room. Cause I think it's important to have both sides. Um, I, have kind of always questioned the idea of terpenes in the, like, let's say there's a formula, right? For the entourage effect. So X plus B or A plus B plus C equals entourage effect. I am starting to think, and I've always kind of thought that, you know, terpenes, I don't know why I just don't, I just don't buy it. It just seems too easy. Uh, that terpenes are not a part of the equation. I'm not saying, cause that's sometimes when I say that people are like, but they're in the lab, like they're in the lab readouts. And I'm like, yeah, no, I've seen terpene readouts and stuff. I'm not saying that they're not present in cannabis. 
I'm questioning whether or not the quote unquote entourage effect actually includes terpenes. It sounds like you know about the subject. So I wanted to give you space to, to talk it about does. that. It does. And the entourage effect does include, it's definitely not just about um, uh, terpenes. I mean, uh, cannabinoids by any mean, it includes flavonoids and terpenes and all of that. It's just that the process that happens in your body when you eat edibles versus when you, you inhale it or combust um, are totally two different chemical processes. One goes right, right, right. your bloodstream and one goes through metabolism. So even though like terpenes and flavonoids and all that play a process in the entourage effect, depending on your consumption method, depending on another consumption method, they may not matter. We just don't really know. But most scientists I've spoken to have definitively said that like at this point, no terpenes, those molecules, they, they cannot make it through the liver. Um, they, 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 they don't make it through. So, so yeah. So the entourage effect, does include those things it just kind of depends on what like process in the body um you're um you're dealing with gotcha yeah so the this person i think i I don't know if he was just trying to trigger he just went on hamilton hamilton's whatever hamilton uh, yeah (laughs) Yeah. not pharmacopia but he's got a podcast but yeah he's from hamilton's pharmacopia yeah i'm trying to think of his last name i can't think of it right now i can't remember it he just went on to his podcast and before he went on, he tweeted, and this is why I invited him onto my show. The entourage effect is just astrology for pharmacologists. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to know what you mean by that. And I think he talked about it on Hamilton's podcasts. It's not out yet, but I messaged him and I'm like, what, what do you mean mm-hmm. by this? And he's just yeah. like, he's like, in my research, we've never found a quote unquote entourage effect. And so I want to like, I'm trying to make the case that at least we don't know enough about cannabinoids. You know what I mean? Cause there's hundreds of cannabinoids. Yeah, We don't know enough about cannabinoids and, and the entourage effect is still a theory. It's definitely a working theory and it hasn't been definitively proven yet, but there is a lot of pretty good research out there that shows it there to be, to be something significant happening there at the same time. You do have um, medicines uh, that are currently being used, like Epidolex, for um, for like very specific ep- ep- epileptic conditions. That um, that's a distillate. That's that's right. CBD isolate, or not distillate, an isolate. I'm sorry. That's that's CBD isolate. So that kind of turns for me. That example always turns the entourage effect on its head. Like okay, well, if the entourage effect is like such a thing, then how can Epidolex be such an effective medicine, right? Like that's really acute and it's, and it's isolate. So I think there's still a lot to be figured out. There are also like the next big frontier in cannabinoid medicine is synthetics and isolate. It is these mono, you know, molecules made in a lab derived from, from yeast or E. coli. So they're, they're not derived from the plant at all. You can completely cut out the plant and have a whole suite of cannabinoids. So um, yeah, <laughs> it's like, I don't, I, I, I would assume it to be true just based on what I know, but I'm also like pretty open to the fact that it may be bullshit and it may just be wishful thinking for people who, um, you know, really want medical cannabis to be a thing. Um, I, I leave room for that. I have to as a journalist, but also at the same time, you know, like intellectually, until things are proven. And even when they are, science is always an ongoing process, right? So 
I don't know. I do believe it to be true. I get it. Cause again, like that 17% flower THC flower versus 30%. Like I know why that high is better. And I know it's because of the terpenes and everything, but I don't really know why truthfully. And I don't, I don't really think anybody can say definitively that they do either. We just have some strong working theories, but yeah, again, there are like many things that are also proven in medical science that turn that on its head. So I think we still have a long way to go basically. For sure. Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting as we go along um, before we um, talk about like maybe some current things you're reporting on or current things that are happening. I know that you reported on an acquisition yesterday that was pretty interesting uh, to read about. Um, but before we do that, um, I want to talk about the future of cannabis. You kind of brought it up. Cannabis medicine, at least I think it's the, the future of cannabis medicine. I want to get your take on it. Do you think that's the future of cannabis medicine, like in a lab with I don't know that process you just described. And I think, I think that's, that's the case because we'll achieve like some level of consistency, like an Advil or whatever, you know, like, you know, if you take one, it's like, I mean, generally speaking, you know, there's differences in people's weights and maybe your metabolism, or if you haven't eaten, it might affect you differently. You know, if you take a Xanax on an empty stomach or something like that, like, you know, it might affect you differently or a drink on an empty stomach but at least we'll, we'll achieve that consistency. What's your take on the future of medical cannabis? Well, it is that because cannabis and the industry is moving this way and businesses are, are, are planning, you know, and investing with this in mind. Cannabis is not the product. Cannabis is an ingredient in a product. It's a consumer packaged good ingredient. It is something that you can put into something else. It is this industry's goal to have cannabis be able for purchase like you would Advil, but like in a pill, in a, you know, in something you take over the counter for, for some kind of therapeutic relief. So, you know, those of us smoking flour and enjoying it for that reason, honestly, we're kind of, we're not the target consumer long-term of this industry. Not at all, actually. Um, it's, it's, it's the mom who can't sleep and, and needs a little helper. That's why gummies are so popular. It's because gummies are kind of a medicinal form, right? Not everybody's going to sit down and they want to eat an infused cake. Like they just need to pop something and go to bed. Like it's, it's an ingredient. And so like, I think for those of us who come into cannabis from, you know, like using cannabis. Um, like, that's a little, that's a little weird and threatening. I'm certainly, I feel threatened by it. What happens when you cut out the plant in plant medicine, right? There's the entourage fact to consider, but there's also the human factor. You take out growers, you, you lose genetic lines, people lose their livelihoods. There's a whole culture behind it, but yeah, I, I know, you know, just from talking and interviewing hundreds of CEOs and seeing their pitch decks and their business plans and the way people invest in this industry, I know for a fact that the plan is, you know, cannabis as a consumer package good, can cannabis as an ingredient. Yeah. That's the way it's going. And so, yeah, these lab created, is it cheaper and easier to have someone grow weed outside where there's weather and variables and people can rip you off and blah, 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 blah this, that, you can get worms, you know, or you can just make it in a lab from yeast and then make it into a pill. You know, if, if I was running a medical company, I would hope I would choose one over the other, but when you're looking at a bottom line, it's just cheaper and easier to do the other. So yeah, it, the medicalization of cannabis is not going to be this hippie, you know, making edibles in the kitchen paradise that it has been right. It's, it's going to be a lot more clinical. I don't think a lot of like heavy weed people are going to be happy about that. It freaks me out. 
but it is the yeah. way it's going. Yeah, I mean, you got to have those uh, double-blind clinical trials, all those things that, if I could say them, made me would make me sound really smart. Um, you know, all those things that go into science. You know, and in, in the pharmaceutical industry, look, there's like some there's there's obviously plenty of problems with this pharmaceutical industry, but yeah, there's of course <laughs> amazing things with the pharmaceutical industry. Like, I don't mean to go on too much of a tangent, but I think um, we're one all of the still things, alive. Right. So, right. Yeah, I was going to say I, off yeah. of that, though, there was, I believe, <laughs> a, not a I got to be careful with my phrasing. It was something to do with AIDS and it's inter, it's entering into like phase two or phase three. Um which is like a really good thing. I, I can't remember if it's like the cured AIDS or like a, a, th- a, a thing Thera- that therapy. like can help you. Yeah. Therapy. Um, but it is based off of the RNA, mRNA vaccine or whatever. Yeah. I don't know enough about to talk about any of this. Um, yeah. so. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, like the fact that we are all still alive and living lives into our seventies, eighties, nineties is the result of modern medicine full stop in the modern pharmaceutical industry. That's just the truth the same time it's also a for-profit behemoth that we don't really know the full inner workings of so like both things can be true at the same time right and i think that's like where we find kind of cannabis's utility in the middle and it's like um figuring out where that line is i think you're going to find a lot of opinions about it. it'll be interesting to see that evolve it is sad to me though that as legalization continues the um goals of the medical movement have been kind of the second like adult use legalization passes or recreational legalization passes, um, I feel like medical patients kind of get the short end of the stick after that and they're quickly forgotten. So usually they're the, the ones who paved the path to legalization, but they, they're not going to have a big say in how this all goes. And that sucks because they're the ones who kind of, you know, suffered to get it, to get us to this point. But um yeah, the, the future of that is going to be decided by suits on Wall Street, most likely. I am very sorry to say, <laughs> but that is unfortunately the truth. Yeah. Just yeah. the way the laws have been written. So, and, you know, the way that money flows. Yeah. I always try to ask people this question in one form or another, and you just brought it up. So uh, before we segue to like maybe some other things that are going on in the industry, I wanted to ask you like, like you said at the beginning of the show, cannabis is for all intents and purposes, no matter what state you live in, still illegal. But correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, like there are exceptions to what I'm about to say, um, but cannabis is still even illegal in some ways in states that it's legal. Like to, to just give you an example, like people get arrested for being over their possession limit in Illinois yeah. or uh, transporting cannabis incorrectly, which is different from, and, uh, a lot of times different from, it's not an open container. Like that's a different thing. Like, obviously that's a different situation, which maybe requires a conversation, you know, cause if you're, if you're trying to, at least at the bare minimum, some people get mad when I say this, if you're at the bare minimum, trying to regulate it like alcohol, maybe, yeah, we shouldn't have open containers. Right. But they're, they're doing this thing where it's like, oh, if it's not in an odor-proof container, it's not the correct container. And it's like, that's bullshit, you know? And so you can't get people in trouble for that. But not to get, like I said, I don't want to get too much in a tangent. One thing that bears true, I think, across most states is like a possession limit. Um, 
we haven't actually seen cannabis like legalized. You know, it seems like it, it's just been commercialized. You can yes. buy it. <laughs> you can't, most people can't even smoke in their own homes. Uh, like I bet most of the people listening to this are probably renters because most people are renters in the United States. And like, yeah, like look in your leases, all of you, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to smoke. And that includes weed. It especially includes weed often. Um, and so like that alone, right? Most, hey, most of these, um, most of these laws in the state, um, they require you to smoke at home in a private place. And that's the only way that your possession is ever legal, actually. And so you're not even allowed to smoke in your house. So wait, where are you allowed to smoke? So that's just one way. That alone um, just shows you how not legal it is. Forget about the fact that, you know, you can pass laws where individual municipalities outlaw the sale or manufacture or distribution of cannabis or cultivation. But the state, you know, like it is in California, but the state overwhelmingly voted to legalize cannabis. So how, if, if the state voted to make it legal, how can an individual town make it illegal? Is that then, is that being legal? So no, it's absolutely not legalized. It's just commercialized. And I bet you a million dollars, we will see federal banking reform before and interstate commerce before we see legalization. And once that happens, you will see the pressure being taken off legalization at the federal level very much. Because once banking goes through, for Wall Street and investment interests, there's no incentive then to see legalization actually pass. They just need to be able to bank with 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 impunity. So, um, yeah, <laughs> no, we haven't legalized it and nobody actually cares to. And the president that we have sitting, you know, right now, Joe Biden, who campaigned on actually letting cannabis prisoners out and, you know, at least decriminalizing marijuana has so far done neither. So. That should tell yeah. you all you need to know about that. In, in my estimation, no, I completely agree with you. We have only commercialized it. We have not legalized it at, at all. There's not equal safe access for everybody by any means. Very well said. I was just pulling up a comic that I think says exactly what you're saying. I got to give this person a shout out. Um, yeah, uh, I love him. <laughs> yeah, Brian Box Brown. He, this is a, a, an older one, but he's just basically saying, sorry for folks that are uh listening only i'll try to give the best recap of this he's basically talking about the safe banking act passing which would allow like you just said banks to um, or cannabis businesses to work with banks and um basically he's he's pointing out that in the netherlands they um, have a small hobbled together cannabis market riddled with major problems, but they've lost the political will to ever fix it. The average person doesn't see cannabis as an issue. And they don't in the United States either. That's why, you know, most reporter newspapers don't have a cannabis reporter or stuff. You know what I mean? People don't care. They just think it's like weed. So yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So you're in California. One of the, there's, there's a comment here to the right and uh, it's the, the only thing you ever hear about, I think with safe, they're like safe banking, it's going to make it so that dispensary workers aren't shot or uh, robbed anymore. Um, is there true, is there truth to that? I mean, I've heard of, I've heard of robberies and I've seen robberies and I, I've always actually thought about it. Like when I used to go to Colorado, it's real. The robberies around, are real. Yeah, I'd be walking around with like $500 cash. And so if somebody just saw my license plate and put two and two together, they could be like, hey. The robberies are real. Yeah. The that safe is going to stop them is not. Um, 
it, it is a fantasy and you it, it it's just it's just not true. And you'll see the loudest voices calling for that are, again, investor and Wall Street voices. There are some small business owners in Oakland who have also been calling for it. But um, you also have to look at the lobbyist groups that they're organized with and their overall, honestly, like like lobbying agenda, because there is one. Um, if you look at a lot of these robberies, yes, there's cash being taken, but also it's oftentimes a lot of product. That product has pretty heavy street value still, even though the black market prices has, have also depressed along with the, the price of legal flour in California. But um, it, it just... Yeah, like you'll just see that the product's taken. So like what is safe banking going to do to offset that? Like has nothing to do with that. So the thing is, is, is with safe banking, what it really does is it doesn't actually provide, it also has no social equity, anything. So like a lot of these businesses that, that, that may have been helped, like this doesn't provide them with an opportunity to get more capital or anything. It just allows people who already have access to banking to bank cheaper and even easier. And it doesn't provide any way to access any kind of capital for business owners who, who can't do it now. So it just increases that, um, that inequality gap basically. And it doesn't, it doesn't do anything to meaningfully like ease banking restrictions. Like it, it it's, not, there's still a lot of reputational risk for banks to do business with cannabis companies. And there are about 250 banks in the United States that currently um, provide services and lending to cannabis companies. Um, so it's not true that there is no banking for cannabis companies and, and the most highly capitalized in the industry, they know this because they're already banking. Um, they just want to do it again, cheaper and easier. But yeah, this doesn't actually provide any any meaningful banking change that would allow a small bank or credit union to more easily do business with the cannabis company. It doesn't incentivize them. So the myth that this is going to blow open banking for small cannabis businesses, it's just not true. So yeah, that's my take on it. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. Um, thanks for that take. And I think it's a perfect segue into all current events because that's kind of one that's current. I mean, it uh, passed the house. I think it's, is it's like waiting in the Senate? Everybody says it's going to die. It is. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's my, I don't have much to add there. It is going to die. It's not politically <laughs> popular. It has no Republican support and not even entire, you know, full Democrat support. It's, it's not happening. Um, the white house doesn't care about it. They're not prioritizing it. They're not behind it. It's not going to pass the Senate. Um, I think we're quite a long way off from from some real federal movement. But again, surprises can happen. I can be wrong, but um, not seeing it, not hearing it from like different sources on the Hill and other reporters and stuff like that. We talk about it and it, it doesn't seem likely. It doesn't seem like the political forces are in place quite yet, which is disappointing, but. Yeah, it is disappointing. It's disappointing for sure. Well, hey, what, what else is going on in the in the cannabis industry? Oh God, what isn't going on? It's crazy. I mean, it, it's crazy. It's a, it's a continually legalizing industry with a lot of legislative changes and a lot of issues. Um, it's, um, it's kind of a crazy place to be right now, especially in California. You have a lot of operators who are not doing well right now. The market isn't exactly healthy. So it's just, it's, it's heavy to listen to everybody's stories. People have been in this game for a long time before it was legal and they're just not able. It's interesting. Like illegality didn't kill them. Legalization did. So it's kind of a hard pill to swallow that the mechanism that was supposed to help them and bring them into the light is actually snuffing them out. So I hear a lot of tough stories, um, a lot <laughs> frequently. And it's, it's, it's not, 
it's like an exciting time to be in the industry to see all this crazy stuff happening and like, oh my God, look at all this like rapper weed dropping and parties and and that's cool and exciting. But at the same time, like a lot of people are having a, a really rough, rough time this year in particularly. And um, a lot of businesses are going to go under in California specifically, and I'm sure in other places too. And it's, um, and you know, you know that the industry isn't exactly equitable. It can be a, a bitter pill to swallow. So yeah. that, that's pretty much the main thing is just kind of like listening to everybody's stories and just wondering um, what the future is going to be like, what, what it looks like. There's a lot of consolidation mergers, deals in the industry right now, MSOs, um, buying smaller companies, that kind of thing. So I don't know, but at the same time, like, you know, fewer people are going to jail, like that's good. Right. And, and, and people do have better and more access to cannabis than any time in history. So that's a good thing. And this, so, you know, it's a balance and it's going to continue to be a balance until for a very long time, probably for the rest of our lifetimes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Legalization, uh, you, not a flip a switch thing. You mentioned mergers and acquisitions. Um, there was one you reported on yesterday, right? Yeah. Um, tell us, tell us about that. Was that a multi-state operator that was no, involved in that? No, no, those are two private California companies and the reason why they combined is, is to avoid having to be bought by a multi-state operator and to keep it um, to keep it local, to keep it independent. That's what they say. Um, so yeah, March and Ash, the San Diego area dispensary chain merged with Canacraft, which, um, is a big, uh, product brand with a bunch of different products, extracts, flour there. Is, so this basically the merger means that these two companies have become vertical. They have distribution channels, they have, um, cultivation, they have retail, um, they have manufacture, they have everything. So it's, um, it's a big deal for the California market. And it's interesting, you know, that, that two independent smaller players have kind of combined to get around the big players getting them. So that's, that's kind of the deal with that. Cool. Well, to close, unless there's anything else that you'd like to talk about, if uh, I wanted to talk about social equity, did you uh, have any other topics though? Like big, no, big no. picture topics? No, we can talk about equity for sure. Cool. Um, I guess my, my question uh, is like, how, what do you think the best way to achieve social equity is? Um, we've, we've tossed around a few ideas and we like, I know it's a really hard, I wouldn't even pretend to know it hasn't been done well anywhere. It is not right. going well. It is just window dressing. I have no, I like, I wouldn't, it's, it's such a big undertaking. How do you right the wrongs from the war on drugs for the right people and do it in the right way at the right time? There's a reason why it hasn't gone well anywhere yet. And it's not just because this is kind of a corrupt industry with a lot of bad people trying to make money off of it, though that is true. Um, it's just that it's so hard to implement and there, and there, and there is a way to do it right, but no one wants to do it. I think if there were a way to do it right, it's you really have to decentralize power and money and just literally give it to the people and communities like that deserve it but no one's going to do that because that gives over power and money. Right. So there is a way to do it. Actually, I take all that back. There is a way to do it. It's that give these licenses and give the capital 
to people in these communities, to black and brown folks and indigenous folks and growers up in the woods in Northern California who, you know, deserve this money. But who's going to do that, right? So instead, companies want to partner with equity recipients or set up a, 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 an application and qualification process. So there's a way to do it. It's just too radical. And so that's never going to happen within a capitalist system. Um, so I don't know if that's a satisfying answer because <laughs> it's not really an answer. But um, I don't know, maybe the way New York is going to do it is better that they're reserving, you know, specifically licenses for people, maybe that's good. It's certainly better than what we've done in California so far and what I've seen in other states. So um, maybe that's a step in the right direction, but I do think that any solution for social equity that could be meaningful and actionable is probably too politically radical for anybody in power to actually um, uh, utilize, which is unfortunate. That doesn't mean we should stop trying. I guess yeah. that's my, my final word on that subject. Yeah, no, I, I mean, well said, although it, it was, uh, I'm saying this for the, it's, it was sad. It was sad. Yeah, it's like, not happy. I don't know, have a good answer for that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm no, really okay. sorry. I'm pretty, I've seen it in the trenches and I've seen how the infighting goes and how it gets fucked up and how people use it for political cloud and other, and it, it, it's 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 a sad story. It's Amanda Chicago Lewis. She is um, a, a very well accomplished journalist. She 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 writes also in the cannabis uh, world. She came out with an article in the New Republic yesterday about why equity has been such a failure. That's worth a read. Also, Don Alexander at Capital in Maine recently um, did a four part series on why social equity in cannabis has failed in America, and that's also another really good read. So I defer, I defer to them on this topic, but yeah, if you don't mind uh, sending me those links, I, uh, I'll, I can send you a message and we'll put them in the show notes so that people Definitely. can read I would it. Love it. It's an important topic and we have to think about it differently and radically in my yeah. opinion. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's tough. It's tough too. Cause like, I wasn't expecting you to just, I mean, it would be great if you just teed up and hit that out of the park, but a lot of people it's I, like, I struggle myself. Like I have rough ideas, but I can see how sometimes there might be holes in those ideas, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, I'm just always interested to hear people's takes. On, yeah. I mean, trust it. me, social equity and trying to implement it is not a bad idea. We should not stop. It's just that, yeah, to do it right would require something, you know, most of us probably aren't required to do. So it's like, ooh, yeah. how do we do it? I think that's what we're figuring out now. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Well, Hey, um, for folks that want to, um, find you online, I mean, you write for MJ biz daily Forbes, uh, and, and many other places, but, um, you have uh, Twitter. We'll throw that handle in, uh, the show notes. Um, it's like at Jack Q Bryant, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just Google me, Jackie Bryant. You'll, you'll find me for better or worse. <laughs> I'm there on the internet. You can't escape it, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty findable on the World Wide web these days. So Jackie Bryant, Jackie Bryant weed, you'll find it. <laughs> Sweet. Cannabitch, you know. That you can, too. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never escape me. It'll be on my gravestone someday. <laughs> yeah. Well, folks, we'll throw uh, the handles, um, the, the social media handle in the show notes, the website or her website in the show notes. Um, and yeah, Google her. You can see all of her latest work. I'm sure by the time that you've heard this episode, she's released more stuff here, always uh, releasing content. So it's uh, That's true. 
love your work and keep thank you yeah, keep, keep it up thank you for for sharing your uh, perspective on the cannabis industry because it's very insightful so. thank you and thanks for having me on this was fun i like it i appreciate yeah. it yeah yeah i would love to have you on again in the future sometime i think it's oh, yeah. great to have uh that west coast west coast perspective uh so um for sure anytime truly cool all right well chillinois i hope you enjoyed this episode we will we will see you next time on the chillinois podcast